The following is a conversation. It has the features of any conversation, such as imperfectly expressed thoughts, ill-considered opinions, and the notions of several sleep-deprived brains. Try not to get your stethoscope in a twist about it. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Coat Podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews. By students, for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to the Short Coat Podcast, the show that gives you an inside look at the at medical school from the students drinking from that fire hose, a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler. With me today in the SCP studio, it's budding co-host... Caroline Brown. Welcome to the show, Caroline. Thank you. Say hello again to the freshly picked PA2, Ariel Andalon. Hi. Returning to the mic is a flourishing M2, Maddie Fitzhugh. Hey. And a perennial favorite is M2, Matt Engelkin. I've been upgraded to favorite. (laughs) I mean, let's assume that that's true. I think zillions of people have written in. To say, hey, get Matt back on the air every week. I haven't heard anybody say that I did a bad job. So who's to say? Who's to say that that isn't true? R- right. Speaking of flowers, let's start off today's show with your recent. We'll call them roses and thorns. I would like to hear your best and worst. One good thing, one less good thing that has happened to you recently in your med ed experience. We'll start with Maddie. Mm, I knew I shouldn't have made eye contact with you in that moment. You were looking directly Man, at me, and that right. is the kiss of death. <laughs> Okay, well, Rose, something that I immediately thought of completely unrelated to school is I took my dog to a corgi meetup over the weekend and we got posted by the store Instagram. Mm. Where, where, uh, so we're famous now. Is this is this Leash on Life? <laughs> no, it's Muddy Puppy. Muddy, Muddy Puppy. Puppy Mart or something okay. in, Col- in Coralville. Oh, okay. Shout out, not sponsored. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Any other? What would you? What would your thorn be then? Thorn. Mm, honestly, can I pass? I don't know. Let me think. Oh, no, something bad has happened. Something annoying. Something <laughs> less. You cannot pass. <laughs> Every week contains good and bad. I mean, that's true. But I like to focus on the good. All right. I guess you're forcing me to to see the world as a wonderful, magical place. So yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> Matt. Any roses and thorns for you? I'd say a good rose is that this is one of our weeks that didn't have an insanely hard exam. And I always make a joke about how past me is really good at sabotaging future me. Or like, you know, procrastination. Everyone has to deal with it. But this might be the only time in history where past me actually did future me a solid and studied for an exam as we were learning the material. And so, have we unlocked? Have we unlocked a key to success? I mean, for a class that has two tests in a semester, probably not. But <laughs> we did it for one of them, okay. and so the week was relatively not, not that stressful. Good. Then a thorn. The weather's starting to change, and I don't like wearing pants. I should specify, I like wearing shorts. But the big thing is with the weather changing, and it's just been groggy here in Iowa City, and I can feel that that winter depression coming on. You could wear shorts. I give you permission to wear shorts. It may be uncomfortable. But yeah, I'd rather shorts. be comfortable, Dave. Okay, so... Just grow more leg hair, Matt. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. That's all you need. Push out, the, push out that leg hair. All right. 
roses and thorns. Uh, we'll, 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 we'll jump to you, Caroline. Okay, so I think I'm going to start with my thorn and get the negativity out of the way. I would say that despite having a relatively easy exam this week, I somehow still managed to procrastinate and was slightly stressed for a while about the production of my cheat sheet for mass, even though we're not supposed to call them cheat sheets anymore. So I think that would be my... What are you supposed to call them? I don't know. Notes sheets? Study guide? Study guide. Yeah, I saw that in the announcements. They're like, stop calling them cheat sheets. I'm like, Carver named them cheat sheets. Like, that was not us. You called them cheat sheets, and now we are being punished. They're probably like, oh, if people find out that we may let them have cheat sheets, they're going to think they're actually cheating. Yeah, they're going to think we're real It's fine, listeners. They're not actually cheating. (laughs) Or are we? No. (laughs) No, Matt. Absolutely not. Yeah, it's cheating with permission. It's when they let you bring in a note sheet that you work on ahead of time. We're all familiar with this, <laughs> with this idea. Like, we don't have to, we, you know, let's, it's fine, Carver College of Medicine. Yeah. Call it a cheat sheet. So that's my thorn. Too much time on that. And I think my rose is that part of my Halloween costume came in this week, and I take Halloween very seriously, so I'm quite excited. What, what do you want to give us a little little idea, a little preview? I cannot. That is going to remain <laughs> top secret until... It's um, unveiled? Yeah. I'm so sorry. Where will it be unveiled? Where should I be? Actually, you should be in Kansas City. I will not be celebrating Halloween <laughs> in Iowa City this year, but I can report back next time I'm on. Pictures. I need we need pictures. Sounds good. Are we are we friends on some social media platform? I don't think that we are. Damn it. We'll work on that. Ariel. Hi. Rose. There are so many roses from this week. Ooh. Something about having a non... Okay, well, we had a test week officially, but, you know, it, an easier test week. Just, like, like makes the week so much more fun. Uh-huh. Let's see. This is the last week of Latinx Heritage Month, and the Latino Native American Cultural Center near here had some events this week that were really fun and cute and i don't know i just loved attending them nice other rose this is the start of the humanities elective today that's true you guys friday on friday at five and yet and yet people seem interested in going Maybe there'll be some attendance. Yeah. I think the pizza, the free pizza has something to do with it, probably. <laughs> well, that, that does help. Thorns, probably similar to Caroline, I did exactly zero lecture material for our new unit this week, so <laughs> that'll be a really fun time next week, I think. It's a, a thorn for future, Ariel, too. A thorn for, to yeah, right now it doesn't foot. matter. It's not poking me at all. Okay. Good. You know, oddly, I hadn't really thought myself... If I had any, well, my my every week my rose is sitting here with y'all to record a podcast. I'm look. That's not a lie, okay. I just want you to know that that is not a lie. My thorn, like Maddie, I'm not sure I have any real. Well, every week I have trouble sleeping, and so I had trouble sleeping earlier this week, and it was really freaking annoying. So we'll go with that. Sleep is important. Shortcoats, we love to hear from you, no matter what it's about. So call us at 347-SHORT-CT with questions, shower thoughts, complaints about your situation, whatever you like. We'll talk about it on the show. Thank you for sharing your your trials and tribulations with me. It's nice of you to... Nice of you to do that. I feel I feel like we've feel like we've talked about things. Midterm <laughs> midterm elections. You know what? You know what's a really exciting topic for a podcast? Elections, <laughs> right? 
Midterm elections are right around the corner. So we are, we at The Short Code wanted to sort of talk about some of the factors that Americans who might be interested in healthcare, like yourselves, are most concerned about going into the midterms. It is the 14th of October as we, as we record this, so it's not that far away. And I would like to say before we begin that I'm not here, none of us I think are here to tell you how to vote or what to vote for or anything like that. We're just going to talk about the kinds of things that people might be thinking about if they are interested in healthcare. We may accidentally telegraph what it is we will be, how it is we will be voting on certain issues, but that doesn't mean you should do that. So I just want to put that out there. You vote your conscience, but please vote. That is an important thing for you to do. As we discussed in a show that we recorded this summer with Abby Hardy Fairbanks, the fact that Roe v. Wade is no longer settled, settled law means abortion is going to be a hot topic. We don't need to spend too much time on that, I think, because we talked about it for an hour. Go back and listen to that show with Abby. It was a great show. Very interesting. But there is there, there are more and more sort of knock-on effects of this change. Among them is the fact that people are having trouble refilling their methotrexate prescriptions. Matt, what do you know about that? So, methotrexate is brought in here because it is used for medically induced abortions. It is a pill that you can take. It treats ectopic pregnancies as well as spontaneous, or not spontaneous, but elective abortions. But the big deal here is that a lot of people and a lot of women take methotrexate for issues such as arthritis and lupus and other autoimmune diseases. Some politicians in some states are cracking down on all methotrexate, which means that people that need it for things that aren't abortions have to deal with the fact that they can't get their refills and are then just have to deal with the fact that they have a disease that they can't treat. Yeah, it's also used for, did you say cancers? It's also used for like treating lung cancers, arthritis, arthritis, psoriasis, yeah, like all kinds of autoimmune stuff, right? Like all kinds of things. And even in some states where that's not that drug specifically is not actually targeted i have read that pharmacists may be reluctant to fill prescriptions because they they fear being prosecuted and doctors may be afraid to prescribe methotrexate because they fear getting in trouble with the law so this is among those knock-on effects that you know for those people this is a knock-on effect it wasn't you know it may not have been intended is this something that you guys are thinking about I think so. I mean, I think it's a part of a very long list of repercussions that we are seeing and are going to continue to see as a result of Roe v. Wade being overturned. But yeah, I mean, I think it's just like a further reflection of the fact that many of the politicians making these laws really have no idea what the downstream effects are and like no idea the actual population of people that they're affecting or a real knowledge of the science and maybe why they're arguing the way that they are. So that'd be my answer. Kind of popping off of exactly what you said, Caroline. Um, Specifically trying to shut down clinics that perform abortions and specialize in abortions, such as things like Planned Parenthood, have a lot of downstream effects in other areas. I know one that's starting to be talked about is the effects it's having on people trying to seek gender-affirming care Mm. in that there's a lot of overlap between things that places like Planned Parenthood do with the general population that are beyond just helping women and people that 
can become pregnant get abortions is that people that are trying to seek gender affirming care and things like that are having a harder time finding that care. Yeah, I was interested to note that I, I think I read that there aren't any Planned Parenthood clinics that have actually closed. Many of them have, have sort of leaned into what they can do in states where, you know, abortion is prohibited, like gender affirming mm-hmm. care and other, you know, aspects of women's health or the health of people who have uterus. So, you know, it, it hasn't completely closed Planned Parenthood clinics, but it's definitely it's definitely having effects. And and by the way, when we talk about these things, I would love to know, are you are you actually like processing these things for the purposes of voting in in the election? I, I went and looked through a couple of wets, websites, Ballot Ready and Ballotopedia to try to figure out, you know, for instance, which candidates I would support based on the issues that I think are are important. So it's awfully hard. Some It used to be awfully hard to find information about candidates, and now it seems a, a bit easier if you use the resources that are available to you. You know what's interesting is I used to, in California, I used to vote based on, like, this podcast I listened to that covered local politics would release, like, a little thing on their website of like how they were going to vote like they assessed all the candidates on like all their different stances and I would mostly follow that like obviously I would do some reading on my own but like I found like my opinions aligned pretty well with that so I guess what I'm saying is I think podcasts have kind of this like niche of to fill of people get really overwhelmed by how much info there is out Mm. there about voting and maybe an esteemed medical school podcast could be a great resource for people to look to. Yeah, I'm sure if I want to get fired. <laughs> Remember, we're getting paid partially by the state of Iowa. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's among the possible things that we could do on the show. Again, I don't want to influence you to vote in any particular way. Okay, well, another thing that another issue that is proving to be uh, something to think about in the midterms is reducing the cost of health care. I feel like we talk about this every election, but there's been a couple of developments in particular now. The Affordable Insulin Now Act was introduced to Congress earlier this year. It's a bill that would limit patients' costs. Matt, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I don't know much more than that. There was a bill that was introduced that would effectively lower the price of insulin to, I believe, $35 a month. Mm-hmm. A month. Which is fantastic, especially since people with type 1 diabetes that need insulin don't choose to need insulin. Obviously, there's a lot of things that you can argue with that. Like, do people that have other comorbidities or other needs, like, say, hypertension, there's a lot of people that some people would argue, like, oh, well, you, like, chose to have the lifestyle, the environment, blah, 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 where, like, you need to be on this heart medicine. But nobody can argue that type 1 diabetes is a choice or is a factor of lifestyle. And so these people that have had a disease basically their entire lives have to pay a lot of money for something that the patent was originally sold for $1 so that it could be everywhere and everybody could get access to it and it's and yet somehow and somehow it costs a lot of money it costs a lot of money yeah no i completely agree and dave you'll just have to stop me if i'm getting too political or too intense here just let me know i don't want to get you fired but (laughs) i think that it the whole insulin argument is really really interesting because 
you know, one of the reasons that we've even talked about in class why lowering the price is so important is because people, not just with diabetes, but really any kind of comorbidity or health condition are the ones who really need health care and access to health care the most, right? And so it's interesting because, you know, in the capitalistic society that we live in, we tend to see politicians not wanting to deal with issues or pay for things up front, which really in the long term could actually prevent the cost of healthcare quite a bit. Like I know we've also talked extensively in our classes about how primary care is so important and that really preventative measures and just kind of improving people's health on more of a day-to-day basis based on, you know, nutrition, access to exercise and mental health resources, like safe living conditions, healthy relationships, all of those things make a much longer dis- or difference in the long run. But a lot of those, I guess we could call them more like social targets of intervention are not things that in general politicians are wanting to consider or deal with. But I think that's a really interesting argument, you know, like insulin's expensive, mostly because of drug companies. But what if we targeted this by just preventing people from getting diabetes in the first place? And obviously, you know, that's not always controllable, but there are definitely risk factors that can increase the odds of having it. The Inflation Reduction Act is the next thing, which targets, you know, targets big pharma and the perception by politicians and voters that drug prices are too high. It does allow Medicare to negotiate the price paid for some other drugs and also reduces health insurance premiums. Again, you know, like it's it's not clear to me how much of an issue. Well, it, it's I think this is probably an issue, a, a partisan issue, because it was, you know, it's introduced by a Democratic president, Democratic administration, or at least signed by a Democratic administration. And so, you know, there could be some, you know, sort of partisan conflict about you know, whether that's a good idea or not, because I, my perception is that it doesn't really matter whether it's a good idea or not. It just matters that you can score points off of people. The other big deal with this is so the big thing is that Medicare and Medicaid have not been able to negotiate prices with pharmaceutical industries when the Affordable Care Act was um, announced about a decade ago now. The big issue is in order to get it passed in a bipartisan Senate. It needed to get enough votes. And like we've been talking about, pharmaceutical industries across the board are pretty garbage and use all the money. No offense to our many pharmacy, (laughs) pharmaceutical industry executives who listen to the show. Yeah, if you listen to this show, I'm sure you're perfect and none (laughs) of this is your fault. But they do spend a lot of their money in lobbying. And a lot of politicians, unfortunately, can take that money and vote with their checking accounts rather than with their constituents' ideas. So when the Affordable Care Act was passed, that was one huge thing that happened is that the government's insurance couldn't negotiate drug prices, and so they could kind of do whatever. One of the other downsides is because drug companies knew that and knew that they could kind of get away with those kind of things, they would increase their prices since they knew that private or that yeah private insurance could negotiate they would drive up the drug prices and then make the private insurances negotiate them back down which doesn't really work all that well but the inflation reduction act is something that can definitely help the only big thing that we've learned about in class is that it doesn't go into effect until 2026 which is a ways away it only affects a few drugs to start out with and slowly gets better but it's kind of the thing that caroline talked about where 
you know, by the time this happens, we'll be another election cycle in. And so people can't say like, ooh, look at what I did and look at how it's affecting your life. Right. It's like climate change where like no one wants to do anything because you can't like write down on your resume that you solved climate change. So that's not going to happen. Yeah. I'm wondering, like, since this is such kind of an incremental thing, especially like on the government end, you know, um, I'm wondering if you think that there is going to be like more room for kind of private companies like Amazon, like other like nonprofits and like health concierge stuff to kind of like jump in and like try to fill this this need. I don't know if that made any sense. Yeah. The the, the need to provide some kinds of yeah, I care guess. to their employees or some. Yeah. Some kinds of. Are you uh, talking well, about like how Amazon is creating like a drug company to sell pharmaceuticals oh, directly to mm-hmm. patients yeah i'm thinking of private companies and even also like i know i think i was reading about like how mark cuban the billionaire is like creating his own what like nonprofit or company or something to like manufacture at the moment like generic drugs at like way below cost mm-hmm. and ship them to people but also i think trying to get more into like drug development so i guess yeah stuff like that of like private entities creating their own drug companies and trying to like step in and do that model of like it's going to be really cheap up front and then who knows but do you i worry that when business steps in to do these sorts or business decides to do these sort of things that there is a motive other than health or other than helping people with their with their daily lives. Yeah, but as, pharmacies as opposed don't care to more about health. <laughs> if pharmacies cared about health, they wouldn't mm-hmm. be charging so much. Or not pharmacies, sorry, pharmaceutical industries. Pharmacies are doing. But that's what I'm saying. Their best, like, but like that's what I'm saying. Pharmaceutical <laughs> industries are already acting completely out of step. I mean, it's not like it's not an unknown effect that like since there's not a whole lot of competition they can charge whatever they want for drugs that are under patent they can really charge whatever they want and they do it strictly as a capitalist way to make more money and so even though yeah businesses there's obviously an ulterior motive if you know amazon or mark cuban step in the entire purpose that like if we're going to say that this is like either a democrat or a republican ideal Republicans love capitalism just like across the board. And so if more people want to get into the pharmaceutical industry and try to drive capitalism so that it affects the patient, as long as those drugs are being controlled in a way that there's not like rampant, like as long as they're not like misdistributed or like made incorrectly or if they can do what they're supposed to do and there's really no difference between generics between different people, then I personally don't see the issue with somebody charging like $8 for a refill and $600 for a refill, which is the case in a lot of situations if you don't use insurance. Yeah, I I, I mean, I get it. I just, you know, when 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 a company like Amazon says, you know... The we mean well. Evil. Yeah. Yeah, when a company like Amazon says, hey, we're going to help, you know, reduce the price of healthcare, I'm a little... Red flag. I'm a little suspicious. <laughs> I want to see a little proof. So, next issue. A 2022 Ipsos survey found that for Americans, mental health is now... The number one health concerns past COVID in it was 35% said it was tops in 2021 and it's now 51% in 2022. And the top concern in 21 was COVID at 68%, but now that sits at 43. That's good, I guess. I mean, COVID is still here. Hey, it's me. 
COVID. What a strange thing to say that's good about. I, I know. Like, I don't wow, know. I'm glad people are having more mental health issues. I mean, it's good that they're concerned about it. Mm-hmm. You yes. know, because I, you know, like growing up, mental, you know, for an old guy like me, mental health was not a thing that people talked a lot about. I think it was, and it was, you know, I'm 52. It was even worse for people older than me. I mean, it was it was an embarrassment. These days, I see so much discussion about mental health. People are thinking about it. And that's a huge improvement. Um, is that driven by a huge increase in mental health issues? I don't know. I feel like it's probably partly an increase. And I think that also our generation is just more open and accepting about a lot of things that haven't been kind of acceptable to talk about in the past. You but guys are you guys are so open and accepting. I I mean <laughs> not you guys in this room, although you are. This is talking about like your generation and the generations that have come off. We're just a come, bunch of lovers. That's I all mean, it is. God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I just think it's funny because I feel like, yeah, if you try to talk to, you know, people even one or two generations older than us, it's like this foreign topic that nobody even really understands. And then I think, I mean, I feel at least amongst my friends, like it's so not taboo. I mean, like we're all, you know checking in on each other like talking about you know what went down in therapy last week like <laughs> everyone like knows who goes to what therapist like what meds people are on and it's just like no big deal incredible I, yeah and i think that that's a really important part of destigmatizing mental health is yeah making sure that everyone feels comfortable talking about that kind of stuff yeah and i feel like that change to to me that change feels like it happened virtually overnight just within the past like I don't know, 15 years. To me, that's Mm -hmm. overnight. I mean, I feel like something really positive, I guess, that came out of like the pandemic is it made a lot of people kind of like introspect a little bit more and think more about their mental health. And like, you know, when everybody was quarantining and stuff, like you can't see people. And I feel like people just had a lot of time to spend with themselves and kind of like reevaluate. So, yeah. 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 You know, it seems Yeah, it does seem like it really brought out mental health as a concern while we all just sort of tried to figure out what was going on in our our lives. So now I think a lot of it is figuring out how to take that concern and make it like be able to treat it better. Yeah. Um, It was like, like Caroline said, I know a lot of people that go to therapy. I know a lot of people that are on like medicines for mental health concerns. I just got my dose increased. Shows. <laughs> I increased it yesterday, so I don't know yet. But I, I choose to believe that you're a much happier person. Well, thank you. But one thing that goes into that is that we are very lucky here at school where CECOM has mental health services that are free to students. We can go to as many therapy sessions as we want to we can see psychiatrists without any cost if you're on medicine obviously you still need to pay insurance but there's so many things that are involved in mental health services that aren't medicines that the school gives us and that's something that i feel like whether or not we use them we should all be very thankful for but not everybody has that ability yeah especially like when like for people that are you know working jobs and you can only see like a psychologist from nine to four and that's you know exactly when they work it's really hard and when you have to pay a lot of money to go to those places and most insurances slash some insurances don't cover it 
it can get really tricky. Well, aside from that, I mean, few states can say they have enough mental health care providers extant in their states. Most states report anywhere from a 5% to almost a 70% shortage of the necessary health care providers in their states. So, yeah, that's an, an obvious issue of access. Yeah, I think I'd also wonder, too. I mean, yes, treatment is really important, but also, like, prevention where possible. I mean, some mental health issues or crises can maybe never be, like, prevented. But I think a lot of, I don't know, a lot of stuff can also be worsened by stuff like COVID Mm -hmm. or, like, you know, whatever other things we have going on in our environment. Whatever stressors that are in our lives. Yeah, yeah. I think we've learned over the last couple of days of class, we're getting into our psychiatric disorders section of school. And one of the things that they've talked about is they found that for some of them, there is a large genetic component. But I believe for all of them, there is also a large environmental component. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's a really good point, Ariel. Mm-hmm. 76% of Americans feel that mental health professionals should be first responders for mental health slash suicide crisis emergency responses while 23% believe it should be the police. Also a shift that may have some relevance in elections and politics. If you if you believe that police are overused in certain situations, like in, in responding to a mental health crisis, that may be important for you to, to consider. I think that's another big generational shift that we've kind of seen. I think that our generation has a much less favorable view of law enforcement and I think yeah I would agree that a mental health professional is much more capable and like much better trained to tackle a situation like that than a cop so yeah I would agree I found it really interesting in the article that are, are you like linking these articles? I'll put them in the anything? I'll put them in, in the, the show notes. Chat? Yeah. All right. Well, one of the articles has this graph about the first responders and it had it split up into like overall and then like Democrat and Republican. And I thought it was really interesting that both parties favored mental health professionals going to these types of situations rather than the police. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just found that interesting. I think one thing that I know, at least in Iowa, has been all over the campaign cycles are kind of using that rhetoric to say that people want to defund the police. I I, I've, I, I know exactly which commercial you're talking about. <laughs> yes. And honestly, I feel like I feel like, you know, if I was in charge of if I could if I could go back in time and encourage people to maybe change the messaging a little bit. <laughs> I don't think that did anybody any real favors. No, just like, yeah, obviously. Defund a lot the of, police turns out to be like, maybe not. How about allocate funds that used to be for police to different resources that can help people in different aspects? You might, need, you might need another <laughs> bumper for your car. A second bumper for that sticker. <laughs> Yeah, I think it is hard because, like, right, are the police are, like, part of a fundamental part of the social safety net now where it's, like, you can't defund the police because they're too busy responding to mental health crises and, like, all this other stuff that shouldn't be in law enforcement domain. But, mm-hmm. yeah, here we are. Yeah, I think it's hard because, yeah, at face value, you hear defund the police and you think, oh, we're just going to get rid of them. But I think the key and idea... And to be clear, that has been tried 
I think in some places. Yes, in some places. But I think what they're really saying is, well, so it's tough, right? I think that, you know, that like saying we're going to completely get rid of this would be you know, one extreme of a solution to a problem. And I think that somewhere in the middle and maybe what most people mean when saying that is what Ariel was saying about kind of reallocating some of those funds and saying, hey, like, is dealing with mental health crises, is this really law enforcement's job? And why would we not have that be handled by a mental health professional? Or if it's something you know, with social issues that are blowing up, you know, within the context of a family or I don't even know, like a business or public building or whatever. Maybe in some cases, yeah, you might need law enforcement, but I think that some of those issues could also potentially be managed by social workers or just kind of, you know, really assessing what are these situations in which we see, we keep seeing these run-ins with police officers that end in violence, that end in, I guess, more problems than we started with. Yeah, I mean, it's it's clear. I think, you know, people with uh, mental health problems are more often incarcerated instead Definitely. You know, perhaps instead of, hopefully, if they are incarcerated, they're also getting help, but maybe not. So how would you guys feel if instead of um, maybe reallocating to, uh, like, having an emergency response team in, like, social work or something like that, or in mental health? Because right now, really, when you think of an emergency medical response, you think of the police, you think of firefighters, and you Mm -hmm. think of EMT, and that's about Mm it. Do you think that we could get a similar response if we had better training for police officers and those types to handle mental health concerns? Or do you think some of those like issues that we're seeing now of having an aggression, an aggression first attitude persist even if training gets better? So I think that if you prioritize mental health concerns within the police system, I don't know. Like, in my opinion, I think it'd be interesting to see if there is a shift in the type of individual that is drawn towards that job. Because I think that, you know, a lot of, I guess, talk or not even talk, but just a lot of findings that have come out of, you know, movements in recent years, drawing more attention to the police force. Like, there's all these things about, you know, covering up each other's issues, the whole like I covered your back, now you're going to cover mine thing. And there seems to be this issue with like lack of transparency within that job field. And so, yeah, I think that addressing mental health as part of training would be really important. But I also just like don't know if the, I guess, population of people who work in that industry i don't really know how they would respond to that i was gonna say something really similar like i want to say yes that training could help but at the same time it's a matter of like taking that training seriously and i just don't know if that would necessarily happen yeah it might it might need a a cultural shift which is always which is always tough. I, you know, I think among the problems, the, one of the problems that occurred to me with the idea that, you know, mental health professionals should be first responders is how do you know, you know, how does a dispatcher say, make a determination from a phone call that some kinds of situations might need a mental health first responder? Or do you just, you know, pair a, health, uh, a mental health professional with a police officer and have them work together in some way? Like, Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking is I feel like a lot of the mental health crises we hear about, like someone is like brandishing a knife or like... Someone is in crisis up, and mm-hmm, maybe yeah. acting Erratic, antisocially. But like, we'll yeah, 
Yeah. I feel like a lot of times there is like almost a, some type of quasi threat of violence of like, oh, they like picked up a heavy object. And, and it's like, important to respond to that them. carefully. Yes. Uh, and and yeah. maybe be prepared to, you know, use force. But, you know, it, it, it seems like more since more and more Americans feel that this is an experiment worthy of taking place, it might be it might be if it's not now, at least an eventual election issue. That's a good point. There are a lot of, I think, stories coming out of people having regretted calling the police on a relative or someone close to them because mm-hmm. of the outcomes of what happened. And they know that that's a possibility, even calling like the the official kind of like crisis, non-emergency hotlines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think kind of going off of what you said, Ariel, I can't really think of any situations, at least that have made the news that have like been situations that have turned violent that don't have an aspect of mental health. I like obviously you can say like robberies that have gone wrong and led to like shootouts are probably too like urgent to bring in a mental health person but also I don't know but a lot of the situations that I feel like people have gotten really mad about with wrongful deaths have been the situations where somebody is having a mental health concern that escalates and even if they don't have like a huge like mental health issue I feel like having somebody that is skilled at de-escalating situations could be really helpful and whose job it is to actually do that Shortcoats, if you're enjoying our conversation today, I'd be grateful if you'd let people know by posting a story on Instagram or Facebook or tweeting about us. And don't forget to tag us in your post. Thank you. Next issue, marijuana reform. We've got the Biden administration has recently asked the, what is it, the FDA to to revisit the scheduling of marijuana as a Schedule 1 drug which includes other drugs like opioids right am i getting this right opioids heroin yes um yeah. not opioids heroin fentanyl like things like that well even fentanyl has like yes, administrative yes. use I th- schedule one drugs are mainly for things that they found really only have abuse potential yeah they, these are these mm-hmm. are drugs that have been classified as not having therapeutic medical uses so things like so things like you know fentanyl and like cocaine and those kind of things do have some therapeutic uses so they aren't schedule one drugs okay schedule one drugs include things like obviously these can also be argued how successfully like that depends but some of the other schedule one drugs are things like heroin lsd mdma ecstasy those kind of like your generic like street drugs as some would say and marijuana is also on that list for a drug that only has high abuse potential and no therapeutic potential and so there's been a huge i guess argument recently to take it off of that list because it doesn't really match the rest of them Mm -hmm. and we've learned in class too i mean there are therapeutic benefits to marijuana and we've seen that Throughout the last, you know, few years, especially states deciding to legalize it, but like even more conservative states that haven't made that leap yet, a lot of them have it legalized for medical, like medical marijuana. And so I think that, yeah, it doesn't really make sense for it to be in the same category as all of those other drugs when we know very well that there is potential therapeutic benefit. It's going to be interesting from a purely political standpoint, now that I think this legalization idea has gained 
momentum for multiple states. It's going to be interesting to see how many states that currently have refused, like have actively refused to legalize, how many states are tempted to do so because of the amount of money that they could make <laughs> off of legal marijuana in some in some way, shape, or form. But I guess that's sort of beside the beside the point. <laughs> I mean, I know is like, money ever beside the point? Money. Yeah. I don't know that it is. <laughs> I don't know that it is. Dr. But you know, like once told me, follow the money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that I have heard, I'm not sure how true it is or not. But one thing that I've heard is that when you legalize marijuana, it puts a, well, when you legalize any drug, it makes it from going from an underground market to being regulated. And so then things that, like, a lot of the dangerous effects of marijuana, like it being laced, like it being impure, those kind of things are more tightly regulated and can cause some of those adverse side effects to be less, I guess, prevalent. Definitely. And I think another big motivation in terms of social change is this, just as we were talking about earlier with racism and incarceration, even though blacks and whites use marijuana at relatively equal rates, we see a huge difference in minorities being incarcerated, whereas white people almost never are. And so I think that's another big argument for that is it's a way to potentially reduce racism in, or in incarceration. So that would be interesting to see play out as well. Do we do? You, have you guys discussed whether legalization has actually resulted in a black market decrease of marijuana? I don't know. I don't think so. Like in class? Not in class. No, no. Yeah. that would be that would amazing be, if that was a class discussion. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a little outside the pur- <laughs> outside the purview. I was just wondering if it was something that was you know cited anywhere that you know of, because I don't know. I don't know that we can assume that that would be an effect. But I'm not sure if I know that. I'm not sure. I mean, it does kind of go back to money where like if it, for example, like in Illinois, it is legal, but it's taxed very highly. In which case there could be. So there could still be just for like lower pricing. Mm -hmm. I can see that being a situation, but I don't know. Well, I mean, among the one of the one of the difficulties with marijuana being a schedule one drug, at least in years past, is that it was difficult to study. I I think it's less difficult to study now, but it's still a schedule one drug officially. So, I think the the more we the the, the more that change that you know to the extent that it is no longer a schedule one drug, then it could be studied more. Is what I'm saying, very mm-hmm. very articulately. <laughs> yeah. So. As for the for the issue of or ballots, the there's a pretty widespread. I'm showing this chart of how much people support or oppose certain measures according to their political affiliation, and you know Democrats and Independents are are seem to be at the at the far end of of these legalization slash decriminalization efforts, and conservatives seem to be at the lower end but in most cases it seems to be higher than it used to be i guess i don't know changing changing how federal law classifies marijuana so it is no longer classified as a schedule one drug 58 percent of republicans support that and that it's probably a change i don't have historical data though climate is another potential election issue now and in the future and one of the interesting things matt that you pointed out 
to me was that few Americans seem to correlate climate change with extreme weather events. And that really, and that also depends on your political affiliation. Democrats see this as more of an issue, or liberals see this as more of an issue, and conservatives see this as less of an issue. Yeah, for people that don't have access to, or are just listening to it, right now we're showing some charts that are basically saying, like, even though tropical storms and hurricanes have increased in the past decade a lot of people don't seem to notice that like even even on the charts that democrats see that increase more often than republicans neither are over 50 percent either in like frequency or in or intensity which is crazy as somebody that doesn't live in areas where we get very many hurricanes and tropical storms except we have gotten i the state of iowa's gotten two derechos in like three years Mm -hmm. which for people that don't live in iowa and don't know what a derecho is it's been called an inland hurricane yeah yeah and so like being hearing all of these massive hurricanes that have hit over the last decade and just like feeling like it's a consistent cycle of just like oh which which state is preparing for the next hurricane and which hurricane is Puerto Rico currently recovering from and the fact that that just like keeps continuing seems crazy that the people that are actually in it are like ah oh, same old life and there are huge health concerns from climate change which we covered in detail in a podcast recently with Dr. Peter Thorne of the UI College of Public Health so uh, make sure you go back and and listen to that show is an interesting discussion mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest health concerns is honestly mental health, like particularly amongst young people. I think there's just so much uncertainty and kind of doubt cast upon the future that a lot of people really don't know how to handle that. And I've read some about too, just a lot of mental health professionals, you know, also aren't prepared to deal with that because this is kind of, you know, uncharted territory. Yeah. And a scary reality for everyone. So I I mean, I can tell you that, you know, I feel terrible about this, but my kids have expressed concerns about, you know, bringing kids into the world in a situation where, Mm -hmm. where, uh, you know, things are looking a little like it's going to be a problem. (laughs) Yeah. On the other hand, the only people who are going to solve this are future people. (laughs) Right. Unfortunately, future people aren't getting elected into. They uh, will in the future. They will in the future. But right now, that's the the whole point. The future people (laughs) like, well, so obviously climate has to deal with healthcare for a lot of reasons, but you mentioned that it's going to be it's going to affect future generations and it's going to be changed by sec or by future generations, but right now government is largely controlled by old people and old people that it may not affect their lives at all have a harder time making those changes. The the next and last issue is gun reform or we'll call this second amendment issues. And interestingly, most Americans support a variety of gun reform ideas, things like universal background checks. I'm looking at a chart here that says 83% of Americans support universal background checks. 83% report safety training before the purchase of a gun. Mental health evaluations before purchasing a gun, 78%. Raising the minimum age to buy any kind of gun from 18 to 21, 74% agree with that idea proof of proper storage before purchasing a gun 68 percent. so given those numbers it would not be difficult to enact this it seems based on these numbers Mm -hmm. if it were put to a vote of the people that's not exactly how this works i think it just goes a lot back to what matt was saying earlier about like politicians being bought out completely i mean trump 
took away legislature that Obama had in place for what was it universal background checks and it's like I'm looking at this graph right now and 83% of the country believes that that is correct and should be in place 80 if I can see right 80% of Republicans even agree with that and so yeah I think it just as Maddie's saying goes back to this whole situation of power in the hands of the few not the many and yeah laws in place that no one agrees with I I I don't I can't read the future but I do and I know that surprises you but I do <laughs> see some cause for optimism in that it is something that is being talked about a lot and I see some cause for pessimism in that we're still seeing gun violence and we haven't really enacted meaningful reform yet. We haven't tested these ideas yet, mm-hmm. essentially, at least on a national level. So, and I think that's an important part of this. You know, like, w- w- among the things that people talk about is like, well, how do we, you know, how do we know that this is going to work? Well, we got to try it. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't know. That's, the other aspect that's my of personal. that is, how do we know it's not going to work? I mean, yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Maybe we should give it a try. I don't know. It's up to you, voters. It's up to you, listeners. Let's see if let's see if let's see if these things are all important issues on the midterms. Which is, I mean, I think they are important issues on the. I think we already know that. But the point is, I'm interested to see how everybody votes this coming November. If you want to tell us things about how you feel about this, I encourage you to give us a call, no matter where you are on the spectrum of. Of belief in any of these things because I think it's important to hear from you on these on these ideas. So give us a call 347-SHORT-CT send an email to the shortcodes at gmail.com and we'll talk about it on the show. I would love to talk about that even if you don't agree with us especially if you don't agree with us. Anything else we want to say about this Matt? I don't think so. I think one thing that we can say is that there has been recent studies that have shown a large overlap between people with or people that have gone through with suicidal ideations and people that have gone through with mass shootings in the similar way that most of them are premeditated most of them have plans those kind of things that have very similar setups and the big thing that comes up in the news nowadays when it comes to the second amendment rights at least like the negative side is that there's a lot of mass shootings happening around the united states and so i think this brings really well back into our previous talk about mental health discussions and mental health reforms in order to have some of those people that might be struggling struggling or considering doing something like this where obviously taking away guns is not the only and should not be the only thing that we do to prevent mass shootings but hopefully is like a more like addressing the mental health concerns behind why people would ever want to do these things the mm-hmm. fact that it's easy to get guns all of those things you can't treat them all as their individual units you have to treat it as a whole i think you're talking about a comprehensive set of plans a comprehensive set of policies that are focused on preventing these horrible situations that include both things like universal background checks, blah, 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 and mental health reform that allows people the ability to seek or get help when they're experiencing difficulties before they turn into these more horrific um, acts. events, acts, yeah. 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 
I think another big part of the conversation that's not often talked about is just the connection between mental health and the fact that in like 99% of cases, the people who carry out mass shootings are men. And I think just, you know, in terms of societal expectations, a lot of times, maybe not so much now, but in past generations, right? Like men haven't felt like it's okay for them to express emotion. Like it's more negatively looked upon for men to do things like ask for help, to be emotional, to cry. I mean, my friends can vouch. Like I've always been a huge proponent that like men need to cry. Like we, I think that mental health and addressing some of these kind of societal expectations or even yeah just a lot of the gender norms I think that our generation is starting to reject I think you know some people may call that a stretch but I think that there is a definite connection between mental health lack of emotional stability lack of you know close relationships that provide people that safe space to you know admit that they're struggling or ask for the help that they need and then these horrible things happening so I think personally that that's also a really interesting topic that could maybe be researched further well there you go I'll give you the last word. <laughs> I was just gonna say everyone no, should go vote. I, voting oh. is cool. Oh. Yeah, voting November is hot. <laughs> voting is fun. <laughs> Voting's amazing. I've got mine. I got my candidates all picked out. That's our show. Matt, Caroline, Maddie, Ariel. Thanks for joining me on today's show. Thank you. Thanks for, Thanks having, for us. having us. And what kind of American would I be if I didn't thank you, Shortcoats, for making us a part of your week? If you're new and you like what you heard today, follow the show wherever fine podcasts are available, like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Thank you to this week's producer, Matt Engelkin, and to this week's editor, Maddie Walleen. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College Medicine Student Government and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities Program. Our music is by Dr. Rox and Catmosphere. I'm Dave Hitler saying don't let the bastards get you down. Talk to you in one week. Hi, short coats. Look, life in medical education, life in America, life in the world is often difficult. And I often wish I could help. All I have is this podcast, but in my wildest dreams, you have the support you need to lead a life of your choosing. You deserve to be happy, healthy, and successful in whatever ways you define those words. So if you need support because you've experienced racism, discrimination, harassment, mental health crises, I want you to be able to get the help that you need. And so I'm going to put some links in the show notes to some resources that you can use. But the bottom line is that for what it's worth, I see you. I know you're out there. I wish I could do more. Maybe I can in ways that I don't understand yet or know about. But I see you and I'm glad you're here and other people are too. This short code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com.